Welcome to Fostering Solutions, a podcast that uplifts people and enterprises making positive impact in communities around the world. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Foster. My guest today is Vivian Rayum. Uh, I've known Vivian, we were, we studied um, at Southern New Hampshire University, seems like forever ago now, but um, that's where we met. And, um, you know, she said yes to being my guest today. And um, Vivian, tell, tell the audience about yourself. Who is sure, Vivian? Sure. I, I like to say I'm a young girl from Providence, Rhode Island. Um, that's my roots. Um, I wanted to be Oprah. <laughs> that was where I started. That's that was like my thing. I wanted to be Oprah when I grew up, and so she's been a real big influence on my life, and I would say my life journey thus far. Okay. Um. So you are an author, an advocate, a coach. You're a lot of things. So mm-hmm. describe your career trajectory. So I started off in journalism. Um, you know, as I just mentioned, I wanted to be Oprah. I wanted to tell stories. Um, and I still do. And I think I've weaved that into different parts of my career. Um, I made a real career pivot uh, right after my son was born. I realized that working in television, they were really, the, the hours were horrible. And so you, I made a decision that I really wanted to be present in his life as much as possible. And so that's how I got into nonprofits. And my first job was as a anti-predatory lending program manager. And I had no idea what housing was, but it was such a great job because I was responsible for educating people about predatory lending in the state of Rhode Island. I had a statewide campaign. I did town halls. I was able to get legislation passed. I worked with really great organizations locally and nationally like AARP and the National Urban League. And it was such a great um, first step into the nonprofit world. And I really developed a love and passion for housing, financial education, uh, because they were things that I didn't learn as a kid, right? And so I realized how many people needed to be educated on just what it takes to buy a house, educating on, on credit, right? And just basic budgeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that, that's so right. I remember my, my first job out of um, college, I, I was out shopping for furniture and getting, <laughs> taking out loans. And I remember this guy, you know, Caucasian guy, he was living um, in his apartment on a mattress and he opened up a mutual fund with it because they gave us like moving allowances. Okay. He used his moving allowance to open up a mutual fund and, you know, living very humbly. And I'm, I didn't know what a mutual fund was. So financial right. education <laughs> is so important, so important. Now, um, as you made your foray into the nonprofit world, is that when you were inspired to study community economic development? Is that yes. kind of led you th- there? A hundred percent. You know, I worked for housing nonprofits. I worked for HUD. I worked for NeighborWorks. So a lot of the large um, housing and community development organizations. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I said community economic development was the right next step for me. I wanted to understand how you make an impact with housing in the communities. 
Um, and so I was actually at the Housing Network when I went to the SNHU and I studied community economic development. And I really used that framework um, throughout my life. I feel like I still think about needs assessment in everything that I do, right? To get all, to make sure you have the right people at the table um, when you're developing plans and making sure you have a solution that really fits for the community that you serve. And so I've kind of used that um, even within my business today. Everything you can, you can apply a logic model to anything. Oh, I have girl. <laughs> so I, I will laugh because you, you'll appreciate this more than anything. So, you know, when I worked at HUD, I was in charge of logic models. Uh-huh. <laughs> in charge of logic models. I was in charge of logic models. Yeah. I was like, wow, this is, this is interesting. But yes, you can still use it in everything. That's right. That's right. So you you started Code Ninjas. Mm-hmm. What was your inspiration for starting that? So you know, Code Ninjas was we had a right when uh, Code Ninjas popped up, and it was a, around 2016. It was a very new franchise, and it piqued my interest from day one. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband and I said, "Listen," I said, "Let's wait on this a little bit. It's still very new." <laughs> I said, I, "I want it to get a little legs, and let's revisit it." Um, and then the opportunity came back a couple years ago. Like, I think it was about two or three years after the franchise started. It, it kept popping up. I think it was like my Facebook feeds. And I said, you know what, let's have a conversation and see kind of where they are now. Um, my husband's the IT guy. He's been in IT for about 30 years. Um, veteran, uh, started off in computer science, went over to cybersecurity. And we always knew that we were going to start a business. Now, the thing for me was, especially being in housing, learning about financial education, it was very clear that a lot of the people that I saw, part of the challenge was that even when they fixed their credit or even when they budgeted, they had jobs that just was not making enough income. I mean, that was just the reality. And so when I looked at STEM and the, the career potential and the income potential, especially in communities of color, it was, it was a no brainer. I said, this is what we need to get kids into, especially in the title one neighborhoods, uh, especially in the low income neighborhoods. This is a thing that can change their family's financial future. This can change and break, I say generational curses around poverty and, and really change things in communities. Absolutely. So what kinds of programs do you offer there? Sure. So our main program, we, we call it the CREATE program. It's a nine-level belt system similar to karate. Mm. So the kids in our program, they actually are anywhere between the ages of five and 14. And so they learn, they spend the first four belts, they're working in JavaScript, which is a very popular computer programming language. And then they learn Lua. And then they spend the last uh, few belts working in Unity, which is all around game development. So most of the games that, uh, that folks play right now, video games, is built in Unity. So they learn that. And by the end of our program, they build their own game that they will publish. They can publish it in the App Store or many other uh, platforms that are out there for them. And then we teach them about the business of gaming. So I say the exciting thing for me is that I'll be creating a whole bunch of moguls that I'll send out into the world who uh, realize, you know, they, they realize that it, they're limitless. Mm-hmm. Okay. So are there Code Ninja franchises all over the country? Because I, I, I don't think I've heard of them here. In, in they are. So there's about 300 Code Ninjas um, in the U.S., U.K., and Canada. And so they're constantly branching out. So there's the Code Ninjas centers 
and we have a center here in Lawrenceville area in Georgia, but there's also studios which are smaller um, places where, you know, they still offer the same services just on a smaller scale. Interesting, gotta look them up. So you have now become a STEM advocate after seeing the um, value of STEM careers. What strategies do you uh, use to inspire young people to get into STEM? Do they always will, you know, do they always think they have the capacity to do it or is there some, some nudging that has to occur? I think I, it's, it's a little bit of both. Uh, we have a lot of, and we call our students ninjas, ninjas that come and they wanna be game developers. I have some young ladies here who are ballerinas and they wanna be coders. I have veterinarians, I have, um, I have a couple of people who want to be teachers and, you know, it's so, it's just a, a huge range of things that are, that our ninjas are interested in. And what we say is, Hey, we want to teach you coding because coding is a 21st century skill. And so how you use that in your career will be different, right? So for my, for my ninjas who want to be game developers, they'll be building games. But for one of the, one of our ninjas and I asked her and she wants to be a vet. I said, well, why did you come to Code Ninjas? She says, well, I want to create an app so that I can help my animals. I said, wonderful. <laughs> I love it, right? Okay. outside of the box. Right? Too. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Of what's that skill? This is just a skill that you can use in whatever career path that you, that you decide. And so once they understand that, um, I have uh, ninjas here. And so besides coding, we also we also introduce them to things like 3D modeling. They learn about um, Python, which is another computer programming language. They learn about website development. We do animation. I mean, even this summer in camp, we're teaching them how to be a YouTuber and build their own website. So there's always different areas. Mm -hmm. and, and this is where I, I say that community economic development piece pops back in because I say, hey, what is it you're interested in? What is it that you wanna learn? And then we develop programs around them. Okay. So what's the de um, demographics of the group? Is it a lot of, is it 50-50 girls, boys? What about um, kids of color? What's so the I would say on the, in the girl side, we're about 20%. Um, and I wanna keep pushing that as much as possible. And then on the demographics side, we probably are about 65% minority. Okay, that's good, that's good. Mm -hmm. Do you get involved in any policy advocacy? Is that, is that a part of the work in, in being a STEM advocate? Do you get involved in that? I have not yet, but that is an area that I want to get into. Um, our county here in Georgia, Gwinnett County, is um, they have some standards around computer science that they want to bring into the schools over the next few years. So I definitely plan on being involved because I think it's so important that every school has this in some you know, way, shape, or form, so that the kids are introduced to this. I, I mean, I, I think when you're thinking about in China, you know, in China, they're teaching kids computer science in preschool, right? In the UK, in elementary school, but in the US, only 40% of high schools. So we're behind, right? And, and these are skills that, the, that, are, that all of our children are going to need for the, to the, for the 21st century. And I imagine, you know, the challenge of systemic racism probably plays a a role there because the more wealthier, the wealthier the school is, the larger tax base, they're the ones who are gonna get all the special programming. Yeah, 
you are a hundred percent right, right? And so how do you make sure folks who don't have, right, the same um, level of income that their kids are getting the service? And that's, that's always the challenge. Um, um, one of the things that I hope to move into is more looking at grand dollars to make sure some of the parents who can't afford, right, mm -hmm to bring their students to our program that they can come in and their kids can still have access to these programs. I think that's always the challenge of, um, you know, there's always some people left out and I don't want that to be. And so I'm always thinking about new ways to, to bring in um, dollars for, for students who just don't have the ability. Yeah, that'd be, that's something I would fund from our foundation. I heard you. Too bad we don't, we don't. You know, we only fund in West Virginia, but <laughs> that, that, that is something that um, if someone in, in West Virginia would do it, if it's, it's just fascinating to me. Um, so how has the pandemic impacted your work? Oh, wow. So March of last year, we ended up shuttering our doors for two months. So here's my timeline. We opened our code ninjas in October of 2019 then in March of 2020 we oh wow and so we Six were right later, yeah yeah I mean it was crazy because we had we were almost at our 100 students which was pretty fast for for where we were and then we had to close our doors and so I decided that we were going to close our doors and freeze all of the accounts and I was like parents are going through a lot people are stressed so we're just going to freeze everything and then I offered some free programming while we were closed. And, you know, some of it is, all right, God, I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> that if this is what you want to continue, you're going to make the doors open and things are going to work out. And, and I used that time while we were out to really um, develop a framework for this. Mm -hmm. Because I said, you know, everybody was not prepared, right? Who thinks that a pandemic was going to happen? Yeah. And so I, I developed a, a framework to deal with unexpected situations. And I think you you look for the opportunities in, in down times, right? What are the things that I can learn? What are the things that we can do better when we open back up? And um, so we started a lot of virtual programming um, and that's been new. Um, and that's something that I, I anticipate we will continue even beyond COVID because there are some people who just want virtual programming um, and virtual workshops, working with some of our um, local schools who just want to do virtual programming for their students because there's no after-school programs. So really looking for those types of opportunities. Okay, okay. So when do you have time to, to write and become a, a best-selling <laughs> writer? Um, talk about how your journalism background led to you being a part of a book. So I always knew I was gonna write. You know, I had, I had put this down in my, um, my book, you know, my vision board book, I use a book and I said that I'm going to be a 12 times best-selling author. Like I wrote that a long time ago. I think I was a freshman in college. And so I always knew writing was something that I would get to. Um, it was just a matter of timing. Um, I've done a lot of work with the Women's Speakers Association. And so, you know, they told me about this book that they were doing last year um, called Powerful, Passionate Women Who Make a Difference. And I said, hey, I want to talk about girls in STEM. <laughs> this is something that I want to talk about. And so it is just one of those things where everything kind of aligned for me. Um, and so I wrote a chapter about the importance of girls in STEM and talked about, uh, you know, some strategies 
to keep them interested, things that have worked um, in, in study and practice and things that we've used here in our center. Um, and then our, the newer book that's coming out later on um, this month deals more with having a, a business resiliency plan in the event of a natural disaster, right? To really help your business. And so this is me on the coaching side. Okay, so you get to actually tell people what you did when you, you were facing <laughs> exactly. the pandemic. So yeah. talk some more about the book. What, you know, who else is in the book? Is, it, is there a certain theme to it or? Yeah, so this recent book, the, the book that's coming out next week, um, it's called Resilient Women Who Rise and Make a Difference. And it's women from across the world. And that's what I love about this book is people who are in different stages in their lives. Mm -hmm. So there's nurses, there's teachers, there's, you know, there's doctors, there's coaches, business uh, women, and they're all talking about different experiences in their lives where they had to be resilient, right? And come back from. Some people have stories about um, cancer diagnosis mm -hmm. and coming back from that. Um, some people talk about, you know, business and different strategies, things that they learn through coaching. So it's a great book because it really just touches on different people in different places of their lives. You've got people from, you know, South Africa and UK and Canada and Switzerland. And so it's great because where else would you hear these stories? I, know. I like to say it's a great, it's a great coffee table book, but it's also a great book club book where there's enough stories where you really can dive in deep and ask questions and I think there is a story in there for everybody that kind of touches where they are in their life right now. Okay, so give the name of the book again and where they can find it. Sure, it is Resilient Women Who Rise and Make a Difference. And it will be available on Amazon next Tuesday. That is our launch day. So we're excited. We'll be doing a live um, the Zoom. Tuesday, because this is going to air probably week after next. So it'll week after next. Okay, so this, it'll be... The book will come out February the 23rd. Okay, good. So Vivi, you've got a lot going on, a very interesting background. What sets your soul on fire? What makes you really tick? tick. I don't know. You know, what has always set my soul on fire is helping people and making a difference. Um, and I'll tell you a great example. I had a young ninja yesterday. We started a program called a Junior Ninja Program. So these are our ninjas who are now 13 plus. So they're close to sort of aging out of our program, but they're still here. And so we wanted to do something special, start building leadership skills, having them working on projects, start having them mentor. So we've, we've started this program and they get t-shirts, they, um, they get badges, you know, really, you know, showing that they're a little, they're a little bit more in the center. And so a child who has, you know, had some challenges it was like I saw a whole different version of him. <laughs> he was excited. It was just the thing that he needed for his light to shine. And so that kind of thing really sets my soul on fire because I am excited to see what it is he's going to do over the next year. And I already know it, right? This was just the thing that he needed for his light to shine. Awesome. Awesome. So what, what gives you hope? What gives you hope? you know, in, in the future and, you know, we're dealing with pandemic, we're dealing with racial injustice, we're dealing with all this stuff. What gives you hope? Right now, the thing that gives me the most hope is these kids, because I know they're at a different place 
I'm, I get the, the ability every day to work with kids who are kind, who are smart, who are creative, who are looking for solutions in a different way, who are, who can appreciate the differences of individuals, right? Based on regardless of their color or religious background. Um, and they give me hope that the challenges that we're dealing with today will not be the challenges of tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Hope in the next generation. That, that's where it gotta be. <laughs> Absolutely. Any parting words? I, I think we vibe so quickly. <laughs> I know it, yeah. it really did. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's, it's STEM, right? It, the parting words for me is I feel like every parent should get their child involved in STEM in some way. And it's, it doesn't even matter um, what they want to do. And I'll give you a great example. I mean, if you wanted to be an artist, the area that you would get them interested in is, is probably animation, right? And so there is a way to connect your child to something in STEM. I feel like these are really going to be the careers of the future. And so really preparing your child for that path is, is critical. And so, and there's so many ways that you can introduce um, your child to STEM. Scratch was a, is a great free program that is available, is created by some very smart people at the MIT lab. Um, you know, introduce your child to Scratch so they can build that, that love of, of coding and animation and being creative. Because I feel like some of the times that, that gets lost because kids have sort of that day-to-day -day grind and so they still need that creativity. So, you know, any way that you can keep your child interested in STEM and creativity, that's gonna be so important for them in their future. I wish I could send my, my niece to you. She's 11. Wish I could send her down to Georgia so she could. <laughs> you, aren't the, you aren't the only one. Everybody's like, can I just send my child? I said, I don't have any room in my house. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much, Vivian. I know you, you've got to go open up and um, have your programming today, but thanks so much for taking time out to share your, your love and, um, and just your desire to see more girls in STEM. Thank you so much. Thank you too much, Michelle. Have a great day. Take care.